How do we intro this podcast? <laughs> you forget how to podcast every time we record an episode. I don't remember what we say because I listen to so many other podcasts and they all open differently. We say wackadoo, welcome to the show. No. It's my new catchphrase for 2023. Mm-hmm. I can I do I have veto power? No. Oh. Well, I guess I have to live with that I now. I mean, I guess in this episode you do because you're editing it. Yeah, it's my episode. I can cut it out. Show starts in three, two, one. Cinema Crush. Welcome to Cinema Crush. I'm Jacob, your host. And I'm Emily, your co-host. We like movies and we like to share them with each other. And that's what this podcast is all about. Yep. And now we get to share them with you. This is your episode. So what are we watching? Well, I don't want to get into that just yet. I want to talk about our lives because it's been a while. I'm excited. Too bad. Gotta do our, our... We gotta do an update. All right, life update for the past month that we've been away. <laughs> well, so I'll just cover all of the things. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Winter Solstice, Happy New Year. There you go. There we go. There's all the holidays that's what's that been, happened. That's, that's what's been happening <laughs> is everything. All of the holidays. December, it was wild. Can you imagine if we we had had to travel home? Oh my gosh. In the meantime, we'd probably still be there, honestly. Well, because all the flights are still delayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like, for whenever we decided not to go, I was like, okay, one anxiety lifted. Because last year when we went home, our flight there was fine. But when we tried to come back to Oregon, our flight got canceled because A, weather because we were flying out of Wisconsin, and B, because all of the flight staff were calling out sick because COVID. And I'm not completely convinced that that wouldn't have been a problem this year, too. Especially considering one of our friends did have a flight canceled and had to sit in an airport for 10 hours waiting for his next flight. My condolences, Dan, (laughs) if you're listening. I feel so bad for he's you. He's still in that airport. Yeah. He's listening. They say he's still there to this day. You can hear his voice over the intercom at night. Wow. He haunts it. But yeah, I I ended a semester. I'm a, I teach animation yes. as a recap for what I do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, finals week. You know, I don't think students think about the aftermath of finals week, but that's my finals week is the after week of finals week when yeah. I have to grade everything. Yeah, all of your students are like, just like relieved that it's over. They can go home, have their holiday, and you get to grade. Yep. Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't stop working. I just got my government assigned days off. Although I do, I would like to take like, a few days off in the coming month or two just to get an actual rest <laughs> from work because things have been crazy. Things do be crazy when you work for government because <laughs> people people get upset about a lot of things. So it's been interesting. But do you have any hopes or wishes for the new year, 2023? Um, I will release a film in 2023. Will release a film. That is... My promise. Pinky promise. Pinky promise. We're pinky promising. I'm aiming for summer release. I'm not going to promise that. I will promise you a a 2023 release, though, Hmm. for my short film that I've been working on. Um, I'm also experimenting with some, like, virtual production stuff over break for work-related things, actually, which is super fun. (laughs) They just had, like, a, a VR headset sitting around. So. Yeah, I was like, are you using it? Can I have it? Completely unopened, by the way. But it's been fun. I like I like learning new tech and like what's out there and 
figuring out how it all works. Yeah. I'm just hoping that this year will be a little bit more chill. Like, 25% more chill. I want no surprises in 2023. Just generally enjoy our lives and not be stressed out by work all the time. (laughs) Hopefully. And making this podcast is one of the ways that we do it. Well, before we talk about the movie for today, I have uh, an entry into Weird Snacks and Drinks. Um, which I, I don't actually know how long I've had this in our fridge for. It's been a while. It's been a while. Um, I bought two of them because I was like, oh, if I like it, then I can have a second one to enjoy separately from the podcast. But it's been a while. So we, we were at the grocery store, which is where we usually find our, our entries into this podcast within the podcast. Our concession stand. Our concession stand. Maybe, and Maybe that should be the new segment title. Yeah. Maybe, maybe going forward, that's what we'll call it. Let us know what you think of that. I think that's more appropriate anyway, but usually concession stands have kind of interesting, not normal candies at them. Yeah. So that would be good. What do you got for us to munch on? I love Twix. So when I saw a new flavor of Twix, I was very excited. This is Twix cookie dough flavor. It has cookie bars in it. And I'm assuming that instead of caramel, it looks like there's some kind of like like a mousse or something like that. I'm going to open it. Open it up. Crinkle it. There you go. I don't know if I like it as much. Oh, here we go. Cookie dough flavored cream with cookie bits, crunchy cookie, milk chocolate. That's what's in there. Yeah, I think a lot of what I like about a Twix bar is the texture. And a, a big contributor to that is that you have this, like, soft caramel on the top of the cookie. And this is just kind of like a weird one note. Like, it's fine. It's it's a Twix bar. It tastes similar to a Twix because it's got that little shortbread cookie in the bottom. It's not my favorite. You know what it's missing? It's hmm. missing the salt from the caramel. Yeah. That's it. It's too sweet. Yeah. I'll still eat it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's good. It's candy, but it's not as good as a regular Twix. So if you see them at the grocery store and you're like, oh my gosh, I love Twix. I want to try this. Maybe just get a regular one. Because it's, it's okay, but it's not my favorite. I think uh, I think that does it for that, that Twix well, bar. Thanks for bringing a delicious thing. <laughs> yeah, not not an awful thing. That's my job. Maybe next time I'll bring those um, those Takis sausage things. Ta- Taki sausage? Do you remember those? No. I bought them before. They're like the um, they're like the beef sticks, but they're Takis flavor. No. <laughs> they're not good. <laughs> I don't want that. I already I was, know. I was imagining like you know those like breakfast sausages, those like little little ones. Yeah. I was just imagining that covered in talky dust. No, it's not that. And it sounded awful to me. I don't know if I'll bring it or not, but it would be a good snack to to try with you. Hmm. Um, also, if you have suggestions, audience, for weird snacks and drinks that we should try, or if you know us and you have our address and want to send us something to try, be our guest because I like to I like to try new things and I like getting presents in the mail. That's scary. <laughs> What are you afraid? I'm of, afraid of, of what? what our friends will send us. <laughs> yes, this is I'm I I double dog Daria. Send us stuff. Anyway, what are we watching? I am bringing for you a movie that embodies the the Christmas spirit. No, more like the the um icy cold, gut wrenching horror of winter. Uh, yeah, Christmas. <laughs> I'm bringing John Carpenter's 1982 film, The Thing. Ah. A classic horror, cult classic film. I love this movie. I think this movie is one of those that has really made me fall in love with practical effects um, and has been a lot of fun to research. I have a lot of fun things to tell you about after we watch the movie. Um, but I want to know, 
how much you know about this movie before I talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch this because you talk about this movie a lot. Yeah. Like, just in conversations when we're talking about films. Like, whenever something, like, practical or spooky comes up, you always reference the thing. And I haven't seen it. Yeah. And now I will. You'll understand soon enough. And now I'll know. And I like practical effects. I like good spooky horror. I like, I know that it's set in, like, Antarctica. Yeah. At, like, one of those, like, remote stations. Yeah. And I know that there's, like some sort of horrible thing in it yeah but that's about it i don't really know much else i think i think this is one of those movies it's become such like a cultural touch point for like horror and sci-fi that as you watch it you'll probably notice things that you've seen before in content that's been created after um but it's really interesting because this movie when it was released in 1982, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a little fact because I know you tend to pay a lot of attention to like um, how much movies make. So this movie had a budget of 15 million dollars. It in the box office uh, made 19.6 million. Nice. That's not great. I mean, it's a profit. <laughs> but this movie flopped horribly. It received several negative reviews pretty much nobody liked it until it was released on like vhs tape for home uh watching partially because this movie released two weeks after et so you had all these people going out to see an alien movie that was really touching and heartfelt had practical effects was not a horror movie (laughs) and then two weeks later this movie comes out and it's completely overshadowed by E.T. People are comparing it to E.T. A lot of people also compare it to Alien and it just completely bombed. Huh. And then once once it kind of had its re-release for home viewing later, people kind of latched onto it. Um, but this is like out of John Carpenter's films. This is one of his favorite films that he's made. And it's actually, I guess it's technically part of like a, a director's trilogy of movies like they're not actually connected but like an anthology yeah um because in 1987 john carpenter releases prince of darkness which i want to watch and then in 1994 he releases in the mouth of madness which i may may be inspired by lovecraft but i'm not 100 percent sure i mean it's got the word madness in it yeah because i think there's like in the mountains of madness yeah the only thing that makes me think that is because this movie is inspired by a book. So it's based on a sci-fi story by John W. Campbell Jr. called Who Goes There? And there's another film that comes out um, in 1951 called A Thing from Another World that's based on that book as well. So a lot of people kind of associate these two movies, um, but John Carpenter's is actually a more faithful adaptation of that book. And actually, John Carpenter was a pretty big fan of A Thing from Another World, the movie. So when he made Halloween, two of the characters in that movie are watching a TV uh, showing of A Thing from Another World. And then, like, I think it's, like, two or three years later, he goes on to make The Thing. He was really inspired by the original movie that came out, inspired by this book. But then he went on and made a much more critically acclaimed uh, film. What else has he made besides this? Besides this, like you I said, mentioned Halloween. Um, I didn't actually look up John Carpenter's filmography. Let me do a quick Google. I'm familiar with his name. Yeah. I'm just not familiar as much with his work, I guess. I think the most popular ones in terms of like wide-spanning pop culture are Halloween and The Thing. Um, he's also made movies like Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, really? Yeah. The, what version? 1986 version. Uh, he worked on, like, an Invis- Invisible Man movie. He, he does, like, a lot of the kind of classic horror. He also did an Elvis picture. I don't, I don't know if that's a biopic or not, but he, he kind of has a wide range of films, but most of them are horror or thriller or a mixture of both. Interestingly, the thing is kind of one of one of his sparse sci-fis. 
he he seems to do more like realistic thriller or like fantasy. This movie also features uh, a couple of like big name special effects people. Rob Botton is the guy that does most of the special effects on this movie. This man, uh, he went on to work on films like Star Wars. <laughs> and actually, I thought you would enjoy this fact. Um, Rob Botton worked on a lot of the characters in the cantina scene in the first Star Wars movie. Nice. Um, in episode four. And then uh, the band in the cantina, he's the tallest one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so next time we watch that movie, you'll have to keep an eye out for that guy. That's fun. But he's also worked on Total Recall, RoboCop, Fight Club, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He went on to work on a lot of well-respected films. Um, but this movie, he was 22 years old, and he ended up being hospitalized before the movie was finished filming. Oh, no. Because he was pushing himself so hard that he ended up with bleeding ulcers and pneumonia oh no <laughs> so definitely was not taking care of himself hey psa for you artists out there yeah <laughs> prioritize your health over your work please yeah i tell that to my students sometimes yeah exactly yeah i wanted to bring that up because man that's rough buddy uh he was he was really particular about his work um and i think initially when uh, Carpenter pulled him on for the film. Uh, he was like not sure, like how you wanted to do the special effects. Kind of let Rob take it, but he was Car John Carpenter was so specific about he didn't want the monster to just be a guy in a suit. Specifically referencing Alien, because when you actually see the alien in that movie, it's not as like inhuman as I think he would have liked it to be. And so he was like, I just don't want it to be a guy in a suit. Whatever we do, I don't want it to be a guy in a suit. And they definitely deliver on that. <laughs> they do a lot of wild. So as as in, inhuman as possible. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of really great design and stuff in here uh, for, those, for those creatures. Kurt Russell is featured in this movie. He's the main character. Uh, there's a lot of other uh, fairly well-known actors. Mostly, mostly ones where I've heard their names, but I don't really know what they're in. The, it's, it just is so wild to me doing research about this, that this movie was received so poorly when it first came out. Like, people called it, like, instant junk and, like, wretched excess. <laughs> like, they, they gave it, like, less than three stars. They were not, critics were so harsh with this movie. They were just like, yeah, I mean, some people might like it if they just like horror for the sake of horror. I mean, it's a horror movie. And they, yeah. And they were like, there's there's no story. There's no plot. I don't get it. And then years later, this is like the horror movie. So interesting. Yeah. It's always interesting seeing like how movies like reputations change over time. Because there, there are some like that where they'll like do absolutely awful in theaters. And then just become absolutely beloved years later. Yeah. Like, once the public has a, a bit to, like, think about it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, you know what? It wasn't that bad. I don't know why I thought it was that bad. Yeah, I think people sometimes just have to sit on it for a while. That's kind of, I feel like that's kind of how it goes for a lot of films, though. Because you, you have your audience go see it. Either it's a huge success or it's a huge flop. I think a lot of it has to do with marketing. Yeah. I think it goes the other way, too. I think there yeah. are some movies where people are really excited to see in theaters, and then afterward, they're like, eh, it was okay. <laughs> Avatar. Avatar. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, that's how I feel about James Cameron's Avatar. I have not seen the second one yet. Yeah. As of this recording, but visually stunning. Changed yeah. the way we do filmmaking. Yeah. Fantastic. The story is okay at best. <laughs> yeah. It's like... It's a movie. It it, it it does movie things. It has problems. It has characters and story. I think most of the conversations I see around that film franchise at this point are like, why why is this movie so popular? The storyline is problematic. <laughs> I understand why it's popular because it's beautiful. You're bringing to life imagery that we otherwise yeah. like wouldn't be able to. It's popular because it is built to be a theater experience. Yeah, yeah. It's it's designed that way. Back to the thing. Yeah, I'm uh I wanna read part of this 
part of this review for you. Scathing review. <laughs> so this is from a New York Times reviewer um, right after the movie came out in June of 1982. John Carpenter's The Thing is a foolish, depressing, overproduced movie that mixes horror with science fiction to make something that is fun as neither one thing or the other. Sometimes it looks as if it aspired to be the quintessential moron movie of the 80s, a virtually storyless feature composed of lots of laboratory-concocted special effects with the actors used merely as props to be hacked, slashed, disemboweled, and decapitated. Finally, to be eaten and then regurgitated as, guess what? More laboratory-concocted special effects. So, I think this guy just was not... What, what year did this come out? 82. 82. So this was early 80s. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking back to like how horror has changed over the decades. Yeah. And like the criteria, I feel like coming from the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. of horror going coming into the 80s is completely different yeah. from 80s horror. Yeah, yeah. Like 80s set a whole different trend of horror. Mm -hmm. Not just like alien, but like, because that was sci-fi mainly. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there was a tone shift yeah, in definitely. style during the 80s that yeah. continued through um, even into today's horror movies. Because mm -hmm. I feel like each decade kind of has a style. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, there's a lot of horror movies that you watch now that take pages out of this film's book specifically. Yeah. Even if it's not like specifically referencing it, like there, I think that there are a lot of horror filmmakers that have been inspired by this yeah well basically what i'm trying to say is like i under i can understand why someone would write a review like that if yeah. their their criteria for a horror film comes from the horror films of like 50s 60s and 70s because this is not like that right this is kind of a, a turning point for horror granted i'm speaking as somebody who does not watch a lot of horror and I think that's partially because, like, modern horror is different from this. Yeah. As as much as it is sort of similar, like, a classic alien killing people movie is up my alley. Like, I, I like that. I, know. I think there's people that say, like, oh, I don't like fantasy or I don't like sci-fi or I don't like horror. I think they just don't know what kind of genre they want. I, I don't ever want to say that I don't like horror. I just don't watch a lot of it because there's horror movies that I do really like, but my taste in horror is different from other people's. I'm really curious. One of the people that was lined up to direct this movie before Carpenter hopped on it was Toby Hooper, who directed the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh. <laughs> so I'm really curious how this film would have looked if, if he had directed it instead. Because I think Carpenter was really specific about how he wanted everything to look and, like, feel. Man, <laughs> how how much more of a, a slash-em-up horror film would this have been? But uh, he actually directed Poltergeist instead. So I think that's all I really want to talk about before the movie. Because I kind of just want to get into it. Yeah, I want to watch this thing. And see what, what you think of this thing. I want... Spookies. Yeah. I want scary monsters. Let's do it. And we'll see you after the break. See you then. Intermission time. Hey everyone, welcome to the intermission. This time it's me taking you through a few announcements and then we'll get right back into the movie. Uh, so if you like what you hear and you want to support our podcast, you can email us at cinemacrushpod at gmail.com. That's cinemacrushpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cinemacrushpod. Uh, admittedly, we've been less active on Twitter, so Instagram is the best place to follow us right now. Um, and that's at cinemacrushpod. We'll be posting updates over there and sharing things we love. If you have questions or feedback, you can tweet at us, DM us, comment on posts, or respond to stories that we put out. We always love to hear from you. We really appreciate you for listening and giving this podcast a chance. So if you have somebody in mind that you think would enjoy it, please go ahead and share it with them. 
that's all the announcements I have for this episode. So let's get you back to the podcast for our review and reflection on John Carpenter's The Thing. And now, on, on, on with the show. Welcome back. Hopefully our cat does not decide to be an unwelcome co-host. We just watched The Thing, which is actually appropriate with our cat because we do call her The Thing. And now you have even more depth for that reference. One of her many nicknames. One of her many nicknames. That thing. That thing. That thing aside, let's talk about this thing. The thing. The thing. Uh, Which... Interestingly enough, we watched this with subtitles as usual, and every time they said thing in this movie, it was capitalized, which I thought was an interesting choice. But we're fresh off the movie. This is the first one in a little while that you haven't seen yet, so I'm curious what your fresh thoughts are. What What did you think? It was pretty good. Yeah? I enjoyed it. Um, it's it's among, among Us, the movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say Among Us is the thing, the game, more than anything. Yeah, but I've seen this after the game came out, so. Yeah. To me. Well, because when I, when I was talking before, I was mentioning that you might recognize some references for, from this movie in other things. That was the main one that I was talking about. Yeah. Because Among Us is just the thing in space. Yeah, it's literally exactly it's, the same. It's exactly the same. It's the same premise. It's just gamified and a little bit less which now i wish that among us wasn't space themed yeah well i mean some some part like some locations in among us are not like there is there is a winter base themed uh area in among us that you can play in that's very much inspired by this game Ah, or this movie clearly i don't play this game any other hi do you have thoughts you were watching the movie what do you think I I really liked it because it felt a lot more realistic in terms of like what people would do in this situation yeah. than other like cheesier horror movies. Right. Uh cuz everything is like like they're discovering more information about the creature, each new little piece of information influences their choices and they're mistrusting of one another but like trying not to lose their cool over it un- unsuccessfully yeah. sometimes. There's kind of this, like, slow downhill trend of, like, none of us are going to make it out of this alive. Yeah, well, I think I knew that from the, once it started, I was like, ah, none of them are making out of this, are they? Especially because we get, like, at the beginning, we get another group. I'm just going to talk over this cat. Uh, Everyone's going to have to be okay with it because she is feisty. They go to the Norwegian base and, like, everything. So an interesting fact about the Norwegian base... So the set that they had for the um, the base that the guys are in, the U.S. guys are in, mm-hmm. the set that they use for the burned out Norwegian base is just that set after it's all burned down. Oh. So it's the same it's thing. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about the interior shots. I would imagine so. Um, the base that they use in it was one that they built in Alaska, and then like they had it all set up and waited for it to snow there and then they went and filmed there and i think most of the interior shots in the movie were filmed on a studio set but like a refrigerated studio set well um, sometimes refrigerated because there's a couple times when they were like in the cold and they didn't have like frosty breath yeah coming out yeah yeah most of it was was like well, i don't know 28 degrees fahrenheit or something like that <laughs> whereas it was like super hot outside but yeah the the whole outside was done in alaska um and i think in canada a little bit that was the interesting thing is john carpenter was really like set on having as many like on location shots as possible um and so they shipped these guys off to canada yeah well i was gonna i was gonna say i was surprised you mentioned alaska because it's cheaper to film in canada yeah they filmed some, like, there were some photography shots done in Alaska, um, and some of the crew was from Canada, um, but they drove up through Canada to Alaska to uh, film the exteriors. I think mostly because it's so cold, because they wanted it to be, like, realistic. Yeah. 
also on the way there at one point uh most of the actors were like all in a bus they were like on this uh cliff driving most of most of the crew was in this bus and the bus started sliding on the road Uh oh so like they almost fell down like a 500 foot embankment well so much for that movie (laughs) so they could have died another point where they could have died that i was telling you about is there's yeah there's a scene where kurt russell is he has a stick of dynamite it's like it's a real practical effects shot i think it's when he throws it one of the guys palmer runs out he like busts through a wall and runs outside because the the creature is taking him over um and kurt russell throws a piece of dynamite at him and like i guess he got like blown back i don't know if that shot is included in the movie or if they redid it he's just like blown back like he almost died <laughs> in that park he didn't realize how like powerful it would be those are the days of uh yeah, film safety is an interesting history. <laughs> film safety was not what it is like, now. There's no way none of the there's not a way the dynamites in this were real. No. <laughs> but there's real explosives on set. Yeah, yeah. Um and there's a lot of planning that goes into stuff like that. Yeah. Which actually Mythbusters talks about a lot cuz it's like Adam Savage used to work for ILM. Yeah. And do like effects for like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and stuff like that. Uh, but sometimes he talks about behind the scenes of shots like that with demolition which there's a lot of in this film there's a lot of explosions there's a lot of fire there's a whole there's so much flamethrower i forgot how much which is cool because i like flamethrowers yeah um and it makes sense because the creature any piece of it could survive and keep going yeah so you have to burn it so i have a few a few touch points in this movie starting with uh i don't know if you're like paying super close attention to it but there's the beginning part when, like, the UFO is flying to Earth, mm-hmm. and then the, the screen tears apart into the thing. Yeah. Um, that's a practical effect. Yeah, it looked like it was. Yeah. Because it had the light pouring through it, and I think it, it looked like it was just kind of overlaid yeah. on top. Like, it's, uh, like, they, like, pre-cut out the letters and, like, peeled them back. Yeah. Well, they burned it. Oh. Yeah. Um, it's a reference to that original movie, uh, the thing from, from Another World. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, that's a reference to that movie. There's another scene in there uh, that's an homage to that film. Whenever they show the the tomb that the creature was in, in the Norwegian base, uh, that's a reference to that film. Because in that film, the creature is more like, like a Frankenstein-type monster hmm. rather than whatever rather it is. Than and whatever thing it is in this. Another thing that I totally like wouldn't have even thought about it unless I knew it. But there's so there's a scene where Doc is like trying to revive uh, this other guy, mm-hmm. and he's doing the paddles on his chest, and then his arms get chomped off. Yeah, because the stomach opens like Among yeah. Us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that scene, they hired a double amputee to do that stunt. Huh. So it's not actually the actor, obviously. But they had a double amputee that they hired. They put a mask on him to look like copper. Uh, that was like a cast from his face, which yeah. I didn't I didn't notice really in this. But he like had these fake arms attached to his arms just for the scene so that they could be chomped off and ripped off with all of... I think a lot of the blood in this movie is jello. Like just red like really jello. liquidy jello. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's referenced in a couple of different places that that... That he just has, like, jello and fake arms and, like, rubber veins and stuff. And they just get chomped off. But it's it's just this other... It's so... This movie is so violent. Yeah. But I kind of love it. Yeah. I, like, I get where the reviewers are like, oh my gosh, it's just, like, a horror fest. It's gross. It's yeah. It's like a barf bag movie. Yeah. Which, like, I don't really feel, like, queasy after watching this movie. It's It's eldritch horror kind of yeah it's like eldritch slasher yeah like that's kind of the the combo well, I because yeah it, it feels it feels the monster feels very lovecraft uh and then you have a lot of blood so you have much. a guy getting his head chomped oh speaking of blood my favorite blood in this movie are the blood icicles on the first like dead guy they find yeah it's so cool the guy that that guy didn't even die by the monster. He was just like, I'm out, peace, I'm out. and then he killed himself. Bye. 
Um, I ain't getting munched on. Yeah, I, I like that scene because it, like, it does a good job of illustrating just how freaking cold it is in Antarctica. Yeah. Because uh, a quick a quick side tangent. One of my professors in college has spent time in Antarctica on a base like this. He he did say that they referenced this movie a lot while they were there. Um, but when you're in certain locations in Antarctica and it's the winter like like it is in this movie, you can't go outside because you will like freeze to death in like 30 seconds. Yeah. I don't know if it's that quick, but like it's it's it's, it's fast. really serious to need to go outside. Like you should not need to go outside in the winter in Antarctica. And like you would think, you know, like even in the summer it gets so cold, bottom of the world and all that. No, it's probably warmer now. But it's also dark. It, it it very much is that like sense of like when they're talking about these guys having like cabin fever and stuff like that. It's very much like Well yeah, and there's that's a very real thing. Especially in the like what is it called? The ever the forever dark. Isn't there a name for it when it's winter and dark oh, outside? Like a midnight sun. I don't know. There's a name for it when it's No, that's when it's light outside the whole time. Is the midnight sun. Yeah, the opposite of that. The forever dark. I don't know. Sure. That gonna, sounds that sounds call, right. I'm gonna call it that. Yeah. But like there's no cities around you there's no light no no it's pitch black everywhere yeah. you look except for your tiny little base right which whenever whenever we get close to the end of the movie and all of the lights go out on the base and it just becomes black blackness and like punctuated by these like eerie blue yeah. emergency lights because well, there's no there's no sun because it's winter and there's no moon because it's stormy and wintry outside there's yeah. no stars yeah there's no reason there would be any speck of anything visible yeah it's terrifying you're only i think one of the interesting things that they don't really explain there's the point at the beginning where windows is trying to connect with the with mcmurdo the main base that's in antarctica windows being the character and not the operating system correct uh windows is their like comms guy um anyway he's trying to connect with mcmurdo which is the main u.s base in antarctica uh, and he can't get through. Um, and they don't really explain that. I'm not sure if that's just a, like, it's the winter, so, like, pretty much everything's shut down, or if that's because of the thing, and maybe it's disrupting communications or something like that. I like to think that the thing has already gotten to all the other bases. Yeah. <laughs> that That's that's the that's what I would assume. However, there was an alternate ending that was filmed that would not concur with that. Speaking of scenes that didn't make it into the film, there is a whole stop motion sequence that was filmed but didn't make it into the final cut. Oh, uh, there was a there's a, a little stop motion with the tentacles at the very end. Yeah, yeah. Cause there there was gonna be this like thing that was like Blair, the the other doctor. Stop motion expert Randall Cook worked on it and did this whole like it wasn't even a very long sequence. Uh, it was just a few seconds, but like he spent so many hours on this part that they didn't even include. And I think I think there are probably a few places where they do use a little bit of stop mode. They don't. They didn't use this scene in particular because to Carpenter it was too obvious that it was stop mode. Yeah. Um, and I think he wanted it to feel more. Yeah. Well, the practical the practical effects are really cool in this. Like they're really well done. There's a lot of different creatures that were made because there's like the dog creature. There's like the stomach opening there's like the head on the ground mm -hmm. that like sprouts legs yeah but i was noticing whenever because the creature like splurts out these tentacles and it wraps around stuff i was watching it and i realized that they probably shot all of that in reverse because that would make sense so like whenever the legs are sprouting out of things they would have actually started out and then just pulled them in yeah to the puppet or like when the tentacles wrap around the dog like they would have started around the dog and then pull it off. And then just pull it off. Huh. And then you just reverse the footage. So it's a really old technique for special effects, but it's really effective. Also, everything is goopy. Everything. So here's here's a fun fact, listeners. Most most 80s horror films, including Alien, I think, uh, when you have a lot of goop and like drooly stuff, in this film in particular, if it's blood, it's probably jello. If it's clear, it's probably KY jelly. Or lube. It's just a lot of lube. Like, an Olympic swimming pool of lube was probably used on this film. <laughs> it's pretty gross. Nasty. Nasty. 
There's a scene where uh, Windows gets his head chomped by the monster, and like he's oh just gosh. covered in it. I'm like, what must that have felt like for this poor man? <laughs> you know? That part was hilarious because he was just like flailing him yeah. around. It's they just, like... just had this like ragdoll version of him that it was just <laughs> flopping around, and I was like, oh my gosh. Because I was like, oh, his head's gone. It's like eating him. I love that scene, but it was also like probably the one of the cheesiest parts of the movie because yeah. like they're all tied to chairs because they're trying to figure out whose blood is contaminated. Yeah, they're all just screaming. And like they finally fight it, but like most of them are still tied up when the monster reveals itself. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be really interested to see a map of the base and like through the story, but like the monster's perspective. Yeah. Of like in which scene, like where would the monster have been? I bet somebody's tracked it. Yeah. Of like when the monster would have infected the other yeah. crew members. I'd be curious to see that too. Because speaking of the, the patient zero, our canine actor is a dog named Jed. He has also, this is his like debut. He also went on to star in both of Disney's White Fang movies. Both of them. Both of them. And he didn't actually have that much experience, like, working with people before the thing. This dog is, like, an actor. Yeah. Like, very much. He's very creepy. I mean, that's the thing with, like, animal, I guess, animal actors. <laughs> I don't know what you, if there's a name for them. Pets don't live that long. No. In terms of, like, when you can work with them on a film. And, like, each film takes, like, at least a year Yeah. to get off the ground. So, like... Three films with one dog is pretty good. Um, and probably just got better and better over time, too. Yeah. The special effects in this film, as I mentioned before, most of them were done right by Rob Botton, and he was pretty particular about how his work was filmed and everything. He was actually, like, really weird about how the lighting was done on his creatures. He, I like, mean, almost didn't want people to see them. I mean, yeah, that's, like, you don't want to see the monster. Yeah, you want it to be as, like creepy and like unknown as possible yeah the more well lit you have your special effects the worse they're going to look yeah that's that's kind of the secret sauce of the effects uh is hiding as much as possible yeah like those are the best looking effects like i talk about i think i've talked have i talked about pacific rim on this podcast i don't know i reference it a lot to my students with vfx because like pacific rim one and two it's not practical but it's still vfx um but the reason the first one looks so good is because the whole thing is in the dark in the rain in the fog and you can't see a thing so it's like oh yeah it's realistic it's like no it's just everything in the rain looks shiny yeah so you can get away with a lot yeah the second one they made the horrible mistake of having everything in broad daylight yeah and everything looks awful yeah, well, and this movie takes advantage of the wetness, too. The wetness? Very much. Also, just, like, the dark of Antarctica. He he worked on it, but then, as I mentioned, he got sick because he worked too hard. <laughs> um, so they brought on Stan Winston, who is known for his work on films like Jurassic Park, Aliens, with an S, uh, Predator, and Edward Scissorhands. Nice. Um, primarily... Uh, he focused, I think a lot of it was done, um, but he primarily worked on the dog thing. They didn't have enough time to make that one mechanical, so that one's actually a hand puppet. So, I, you know. I find that puppetry often works better than animatronic. Yeah. In most cases, unless it's, like, really good animatronic. So, you had something to say at the end. Would you like to elaborate on your feelings about the ending? I'm (laughs) disappointed. This movie was so good and then the very end they like go to the doctor's shed Mm -hmm. where he's been digging this like I guess secret workshop secret Santa's workshop yeah and making a spaceship out of helicopter parts? Yeah sure. No! Sure. They were doing so good! They blew it up. They didn't need to have it. I don't know how he planned to get out of there. The tunnel would have been a fun thing, but, like, it was, like, a f- it, it's not so much that the tunnel was there. It's so, it's that the end of the tunnel was this large, open, like, ice chasm, like, perfectly carved out with tables set up. Yeah. Like, how did you get a table in there? Where he's, did had you... a, he's had several days down there by himself. Do you know how long it takes to dig something like that in the ice? He's been alone 
with nothing to do, and he's an alien who doesn't need to sleep. Well, like, how long has he been an alien? Probably since he was helping, um, because he, so, there's the scene where he's administering, I don't know if it's pain medication or if he's putting one of the dogs down. Well, and also, he's been working on these creatures. Yeah. He's been autopsying them. I'm surprised that Copper didn't get infected, because he's also been doing that, too. He's been the primary person sticking his hand in these things. I think his character is one of the most interesting to me. Because he is the first one to, like, realize how bad this is. Yeah. And then he doesn't even, like, bother to convey that to everyone else. He just snaps and loses it. He just has this, like, absolute psychotic break. Goes on a rampage, destroying all their comms. So they can't call anyone here. Because if they do that, this thing is going to get out. I don't I don't think that he trusts them to realize the severity of the problem. But he also trusts that he has been infected. The scene where McCready and a couple of the other guys go visit uh, his his shack to, like, see, like, hey, have you seen this other guy? He's like, please let me out. I'm better now. Please let me out. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> That's exactly what the thing would say. That's what it would say. But you were, you seemed more, you seemed like you were not satisfied with, like, the ending ending. No, I wasn't satisfied with that either. Because, like, yeah, there's two of them left. Yeah. And both of them don't really trust each other. And then, like, the whole base is on fire. And then I expected them to just, like, for good measure, you know, blow each other up. And then they just sit there. Mm -hmm. Like, what's what's the plan here? They're just going to freeze to death. That's bad for the creature. That's what the creature wants. Well, but neither of them are infected, presumably. You don't know that. They spent the entire third act of this film. Uh-huh being meticulous with torching every yeah. room, yeah. everything that could possibly be infected. And you're telling me at the very end, oh, I'm just going to sit in the cold? No. Would you have liked the alternate ending better where the rescue team comes and gets McCready and takes him to a medical facility and tests his blood? And then he passes. Because that was the alternate ending that they filmed. Carpenter was like, no, I want it to be ambiguous. I don't want to give my audience a satisfying ending. <laughs> That was his his specific choice. It's a very, like, bleak and, like, ambiguous ending. Like, I think that was very intentional on his part. Because he was like, I don't, I want to leave the audience with the same sense of distrust that all of these guys had. Do these but guys end up spreading the, it? That doesn't make sense for the character and every, every choice McCready's made up to this point. I don't like it. Well, you can, you can dislike it all you want and know that there is a spare ending. No, you know what you do? You kill McCready down in the basement. He blows up the thing mm -hmm. down in the generator basement. And then Childs is the one who survives, but you don't know mm. if he's infected. Yeah. Same effect preserves the character choices. Yeah. But cool movie. Yeah, I think that's all. That's all I really have to say about it. I just like it a lot. And like, there's a lot of really cool like choices in lighting and a lot of flare lighting a lot of flare lighting how many flares cool. do you think they went through on this film oh my gosh there's like every time they're outside basically they pull out a flare multiple flares which which kind of makes sense to me like sometimes they use flashlights but i think a flare is probably brighter than a flashlight yeah and it's red light which is probably easier to see without it obscuring your vision well and if you're out in the like storm and you have a light to try and get people's attention to try to find someone yeah you don't want to have a white light in a white winter right. storm yeah yeah that especially, would be stupid especially like it there's a lot more contrast with it because all of their like base lights are either blue or white so that makes a lot of sense but you have a lot of really cool yeah. shots where there's like blue lighting and like and blue, the red flare blue glow from some lights and then the red yeah. flare casting light on them it's really cool i like it a lot yeah complimentary color main and fill lights yeah it's used a lot in film yeah yeah very prominent in this another fun thing well i don't know about fun i'm curious i'm curious how different it would have been i guess there are no women in this movie there's only men boys only club because the women would have solved the problem <laughs> it would have been over too quick exactly and i think that's probably for the best because i don't know Unless you were, unless you were like half and half women and men, I would not want to be the only woman with all of those men. 
In the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. But I, I don't know. The characters in this movie are intriguing to me, too. Because, like, they don't really build them up very much. Like, we don't really get any, like... I, th- I think the reason... I think they, they build them up enough to, like, invest in them. Yeah. But no further. Yeah. Like, I think the reason that you kind of get the sense pretty early on that all of these guys are going to die, they don't really elaborate at all on their lives or who they are as people yeah. or even, like, what they do. We don't even get full names for most of them. Yeah. They're just, they're there and they're dealing with this and they're reacting in the way that their character would react, but we don't really know much about them beyond that. Well, and like, they're there to do their job. Yeah. Like, the whole reason anyone goes to Antarctica is not for pleasure. No. They're there to study and do science. And make money. Yeah. Not not much else, which you can make a lot of money going to Antarctica. Yeah, because no one wants to go there. (laughs) But like, it's interesting because like, they're not really friends no they're just co-workers yeah they're just there suffering together <laughs> which is its own kind of bonding i suppose yeah i'll i'll end this one with the question would you go to antarctica mm, only for penguins all right that's fair but you can go other places for penguins yeah but not the big penguins okay that's fair enough i don't think i would go to antarctica <laughs> I don't, I don't think I want to become horribly depressed. Hey, with global warming, maybe you will go to Antarctica. Oh. Well, on that note... This could, be, is... could be a paradise in the future. You don't uh, know. I think everything will have flooded by then. Yeah, we'll have a whole brand new continent at the bottom of the globe. Most of the world's water is frozen in ice. It's like 3.4, some huge, massive number, gallons of earth's water are in the ice so if that melts we're doomed it already is melting i don't know why i'm saying that people have lost their homes <laughs> it's been melting for it's decades not good this movie is also not a film about keeping the ice caps from melting <laughs> but uh go watch the thing it's a great movie a good cozy winter movie a good cozy winter flick and we'll see you on our next episode See you then. Bye. Thanks again for dropping in, and we hope you've enjoyed the evening as much as we've enjoyed having you here. Till next time, please drive carefully, and good night now. Suki, you're a menace. You're the worst. Worst ghost ever.